Amen. That was a blessing, isn't it? We thank God for uh, that sibling who's always available and uh, happy to uh, sing for the glory of God. And uh, we are truly blessed uh, this day. Um, since this morning, we appreciate the, the wonderful message that we heard from uh, Pastor Max. And thank you for our song leader for leading those blessed and wonderful songs about heaven. Thank you for our musicians uh, who played their instruments for the glory of God, for everyone who uh, contributed to make our uh, Sunday service possible today, and we give God all the glory. And once again, for the second service, our afternoon service, we thank God for your presence. We thank God for your uh, continuous desire to uh, study God's word, to worship the Lord together in spirit and in truth. Then uh, we believe with all our heart that uh, our gathering here is never in vain because we are gathered in the name of Christ. And we always claim that promise when two or three are gathered. In Christ's name, he is in our midst. And that's our heart's desire today is to honor the Lord. And I think this uh, wonderful privilege to be able to share God's word once again. And as I um, mentioned this morning, uh, we are so blessed last weekend for uh, the wonderful preachings we've heard from God's servants, from um, our pastor friends uh, all over the world, especially in the Philippines and uh, all the way in the West Coast. And uh, I hope that um, you still not uh, forget uh, the core message of um, the things, the theme that they were trying to emphasize to us, and that is the importance of being uh, a witness for the Lord, isn't it? And we, we ought to, to ask God every time that the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, press upon our heart to, to share God's word that the Lord will give us holy boldness, isn't it? Courage. Because you know what? On the other side, the people who are uh, uh, thinking that they have the right kind of faith and um, they have the right kind of teaching, they are very uh, aggressive, isn't it? Uh, adamant. They are really um, pushing through what they believe and they use different platforms or any uh, sphere of influence that they could. So if we have the truth, then by the grace of God, by his uh, leading, when there's an open door of opportunity, then let's ask God for courage. Amen? For boldness and the love that will compel us to also share the wonderful gospel that we all have. So thank God for uh, those inspiration. And today, um, it's um, my honor once again to stand behind this pulpit and a privilege to share God's word. We will continue our studies in the gospel of Jesus, the life of Christ. We're still in Matthew chapter 24, and I like that I'm uh, having a series of messages. So the other pastors that preach, you know, before me or after me, you know, they don't have to preach the same chapter, you know, <laughs> the same topic. But um, whatever the Lord leads for them to share. I just want to make a quote. Um, uh, somebody says this, Faithfulness today is the best preparation for the demands of tomorrow. Amen. Faithfulness today is the best preparation for the demands of tomorrow. You know who um, coined that, who quoted that? Her name is Elizabeth Elliot. And I believe she's um, the good wife of Jim Elliot, one of um, the missionaries in Southern America and the Inca Indians, uh, very remote. They pioneered the mission work there. And even though uh, her husband died, but you know what? She came back and ministered to that tribal place 
and now there's a church there. Salvation was uh, able to penetrate that uh, heart of the jungle, and now there's a gospel witness there because there's the faithfulness of that one woman, and she made a great impact and difference. So for us to be used by God, God is looking for our faithfulness right now. And I thank God for your faithfulness. They are still here. I know um, it's tempting just to take a nap. Uh, we know it's very humid outside. It's hot. And thank God you're not going to hell. Amen? Um, because <laughs> it's going to be hotter there and it's forever. But uh, we, we appreciate the sunlight, the sunshine in our soul. And um, we always count our blessings. And um, thank God for the opportunity to study God's word together. And I'd like to uh, invite everyone to please stand with me, and we'll read uh, two passages of Scripture in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. Just one verse. So, ibig sabihin, make si lang yung message, no? Kasi one verse lang. <laughs> and then, we have a cross-reference in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. Yun, humaba. Kasi nagkaroon ng Daniel, you know? Major prophet to. Um... In order to study um, the end times, we need to take a hold of not only studying the book of Revelation uh, when it regards to Matthew 24, but also Daniel. So if you're there, say a, say a hearty amen. 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 So let's start first with Matthew ch chapter 24, verse 15. We'll read it all together, then Daniel chapter 9. We'll start reading from verse 20 to 27. Matthew 24, 15 first. Ready, begin. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. So, Jesus Christ tells us to understand this passage of Scripture in Matthew 24, 15. We have to read and study a passage of Scripture in the book of Daniel. So, we have to better obey. We ought to obey what Christ told us, isn't it? That we need to study a passage in the book of Daniel to understand these things because it is the skeletal structure of all prophecy. Uh, so it can be of great help in our study at the end time. So we'll read verse 21st, and um, Daniel chapter 9 is all about Daniel's prayer for his people. And we know that Daniel is a praying man. Even though he was exiled in Babylon, he still take time three times a day to pray before the Lord, facing his uh, face toward Jerusalem. And we know that he's praying uh, his confession from verses 4 to 14, and he offers petition there. He prayed negatively for God's wrath against his people to be assuaged or to be taken out in verse 16. And positively, he prayed also for God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness to be displayed in the people's restoration for their land. And Daniel, God answered Daniel's prayer, and it came immediate, immediately through the angel Gabriel. Imagine that. And although Daniel's prayer was primarily for God's forgiveness and the restoration of the Jews to their land, his initial concern for God's program for Israel, verse 2, caused the Lord to reveal to him a vision, an outline, of Israel's future from that point on. So this is what we're reading from verses 24 to 27. So let's start with verse 20, begin. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, 
Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation, and informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Here it is. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Nor, therefore, and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, and to the Messiah, the prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks, the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with the flood. And to the end of the war, desolations are determined. And he shall confirm this covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's have a word of prayer. Father God in heaven, the God of all wisdom and knowledge, the author of these holy scriptures, the wonderful words of life, we come before thy throne of grace, Lord, with humbleness of heart, knowing, Lord, that without your um, assistance, Lord, with your Holy Spirit teaching us, illuminating us, guiding us, Lord, we will never gain any knowledge or understanding of thy word. We count it as a great privilege, Lord, to have the uh, spiritual enlightenment and freedom, even religious freedom, to have uh, this worship service. Uh, be able to carry our Bibles with us, be able to gather in this place, this house of prayer, house of worship, to uh, study thy word together and that we can be edified. And we can be reminded that the Bible we hold in our hands, the scriptures, is truly given by inspiration of God. Thank you, Lord, that you will always keep your word. Everything that's written here in this Bible will be fulfilled Everything will come to pass because you always reminded us that it is the O Father that authored the greatest book of all time. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us. Thank you, Lord, for the spiritual truths that we can once again revisit today. Lord, once again, I ask for your guidance, your strength, and your wisdom. I'm so limited. I'm so frail. I pray, Lord, that something that will be said today will strengthen our faith. And will give us that wonderful assurance that the God that we worship today is completely sovereign. He is in control in all times, at all times. That he's still on the throne. That he has a wonderful plan and program in the affairs of this world. Even our individual lives. So thank you, Lord, that we've given our soul into thine safekeeping forevermore. The moment we trusted Christ as our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for the assurance of heaven. Thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness of sin. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of prayer. And once again, Lord, thank you, Lord, for the understanding 
that we can have when we study and read your word. Pray that you keep us safe and bless also our brethren and our friends who are watching uh, virtually. May you uh, uh, protect them and, and guide them and bless them. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may all be seated. Um, every now and then we hear uh, this Bible pledge in our church, isn't it? Let me recite it to you when we say, This is my Bible. It is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It tells me who I am, what I can become, and where I am going. It renews my mind and changes my heart and refreshes my soul. It is my daily spiritual bread. By faith, I will believe its promises, obey its commandments, and honor its principles in my life. With the Bible as my guide, I will walk by faith and not by sight. Aren't you glad you have the complete Word of God? in you. Not only tangibly speaking, visibly speaking, but also most of all we, you know, hide it in our heart. We carry it in our heart. There are uh, Christians nowadays in less fortunate countries all over the world like communist ruled, dictator ruled uh, countries that don't have religious freedom that we enjoy, that they don't have that accessibility and privilege and assurance to have a complete Bible. And what they do is they have portions of it, and they read it, and they memorize it, and they pass it to other Christians. Maybe they are in prisons or underground churches. But aren't you glad here in America we still enjoy this religious freedom? When you go to a hotel, you can find Gideon's Bible in the drawer. You can download the app for free. Uh, there's a lot of uh, resources out there. So there's no excuse for a Christian to be ignorant of God's word. And you're the one who has to give an account and be blamed if uh, the only verse that you know is Genesis 1-1, isn't it? And John 11:35. But as, as God's people living in a free world, in a Christian, so-called nation, thank God for the opportunities that we can listen, hear, and read God's word. So our title of our message today is The Backbone of Bible Prophecy. And we are uh, in a limited borrowed time. Because we have a business meeting, so uh, you can do this to me when I exceeded 30 minutes. <laughs> and uh, we know that uh, in our bodies, this body is designed marvelously by God. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, isn't it? Uh, the Bible says that we are conceived in the womb of our uh, mothers, and God has already given us uh, souls. That's why we believe in the sacredness of life, the sanctity of life. And in this body that God created, and I remember the illustration of uh, Brother Bob that, don't you know that you are a millionaire? If you are going to uh, evaluate your body, your body parts, you are worth millions of dollars, you know? So don't be uh, discouraged. I don't look great like that celebrity. I, I, I'm not that active or, or that, uh, you know, I'm not that athletic like that basketball player or volleyball player. I'm not that talented. I, I'm not that, you know, this and that, physically speaking. But you know what? In the eyes of God, uh, your worth is more valuable than the rest of the world, isn't it? And you are created for a specific reason and a purpose. And we know in our bodies, we have different systems. We have the respiratory system, circulatory system, excretory system. And also, with other systems, we have the skeletal system. And what would happen if a person doesn't have any bones? 
or skeleton, skeletal system. Or let's just say, uh, what do you call that, backbone, those vertebrae or invertebrae, you know? You're just gonna be a huge pile of, you know, <laughs> muscles and tissues and blood. You, you're gonna be a blob or something like that, you know, like that's Monsters, Inc., you know? There's like that character like a blob, blob with an eye, you know? So um, that's going to be hideous, isn't it? So our skeletal system, our, our backbone, our, our bones keep our tissues and blood and internal organs together. You know, without that, we won't have any shape or form. We cannot function. And um, as we go older, isn't it, we lose our bone density, isn't it? And uh, we have to take some supplements here and there to keep our bones strong, not brittle. That's why we, we lose our, our, our teeth when we get older. Uh, we lose um, our posture when we get older because those are the ones that are decaying and lessening as we go older. And as I said before, more than 30% of the Bible is predictive prophecy. Why? Because it's a proof that the Bible is the very word of God when God authored it and say things will be happening from this point on until like thousands of years and we see them fulfilled, then it gives us the assurance that truly we can trust our soul in this book. That this is not just authored by merely ordinary men and we know God used men. 40 different authors with different style and, and personalities to pen his word, but God breathed on them. God inspired them. His Holy Spirit is the one who gave them the right words to write to complete our 66 books of the Bible. And one of the proofs that the Bible is true is predictive, fulfilled, prophetic prophecies of the Bible. Of course, we can also add there historical accounts that had happened to be true, um, ge geological accounts, uh, ast uh, astronomical accounts, um, archaeological accounts, and scientific, everything, because God authored this very book. So today, we will look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, to order to understand Matthew chapter 24, verse 15. And if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, studied just one verse in verse 14, when we read, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And we've told you the context of this chapter that Jesus Christ is talking to the Jews to the disciples, and uh, generally speaking, this is talking about the coming of the Great Tribulation, what we call the 70th week of Daniel. How many of you have been in that study? You encountered that? Some Bible study group, the 70th week of Daniel. You know, one of uh, some, sometimes like complex, complicated uh, studies about prophecy. But you know what? It's the backbone of Bible prophecy. Hmm? Wow, that's a long time ago, Pastor, no? Yeah. So if you've uh, read about this, encountered about this, I'll just, you know, rekindle your uh, memory about it because it's an, a wonderful and exciting topic to behold in our series of study. And it's Jesus who told us to turn back to Daniel so we can be, be able to better understand this. And as I said, what Christ prophesied in Matthew chapter 24 had been fulfilled the destruction of Jerusalem, like 37 years after he died. 
He died when he was 33, plus 37, it's 70. When Roman general Titus came into the city, destroyed it, destroyed the temple. That's why it was fulfilled when he said that not one stone in this great temple that you see, the pillars will be one another. And it was fulfilled. There's a fulfillment in that short-term but also long-term prophecy that concerns our timeline right now. All right? And all these things, spiritual deception, national disruption, physical destruction will continue to climax. The intensity will go, you know, uh, slow and it's going to be fast and the frequency will come from uh, uh, slow to fast also of all these things and it will culminate in the great tribulation. So this passage of scripture in verse 14 and this gospel of the kingdom, this, of course, we know that the gospel simply means good news. And the good news of what? That the kingdom of Christ that he had promised to the Jews will come. So this speaks of the millennial reign. 1,000-year reign of Christ. This was the one that Christ was preaching to the Jews the first time he came 2,000 years ago. Even John the Baptist, when he said, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But they did not accept Christ as their Messiah. They rejected him. So they were put in a standby position in the shelf. And God has to turn to the Gentiles. God has uh, ushered in that mystery, the church age, the grace period, whereby Jews and Gentiles can be saved. So once again, they will go back to this gospel. This, excuse me, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. And we studied that there will be an ordained 144,000 male Jewish evangelists and also two witnesses in the great tribulation that will come all over the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom that Christ is going to come soon. The second phase of his coming when he comes after the seven-year tribulation when he will come publicly to establish his millennial reign and do the battle in the battle of Armageddon. So that's the context of this, and it says that the end shall come. And that's the end of human history, and he will uh, put up the millennial reign. So in verse 15, when you therefore shall see, there you go. It's um, uh, in capital in your Bible, isn't it? Abomination of desolation. We'll go to there, I don't know, today, maybe next time. But we will look at this period of time, the 70th week of Daniel. So let's turn to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 27. So in a nutshell, I just want to give you what is the 70 weeks prophecy. These 70 prophetic weeks of Daniel's vision describe God's dealing with Israel and are divided in, into two periods. The first was 69 weeks, you know, and the final 70th week. During this period, the Messianic work of God will be completed. According to Daniel's prophecy, at the end of the 69th week, the Messiah will be cut off or he will die, and the city of Jerusalem, including the temple, will be destroyed. And it had happened in AD 70. Now, this particular dispensation or the grace period, which was among God's secret things in the Old Testament, but is a mystery revealed in the New Testament, falls within this gap. The 70 weeks began from the only biblical decree authorizing the rebuilding of Jerusalem and its wall in Nehemiah chapter 2. It is dated in the Jewish month of Nisan, 445 or 44 BC, and using a 360-day year, that's the the calendar of prophetic calendar, 360 years. For us, it's solar calendar, Gregorian, 365. But
But the Bible uses 360, as the Bible says, also uses 12 30-day months, as in Genesis 7, 11, Revelation 12, 6, and other passages of Scripture. And we know that there's um, a lot of Bible scholars like Sir Robert Anderson calculated that the end of the 69th week to fall on Palm Sunday just before the Lord's crucifixion. So we, we see here that God's word is always accurate. God's word is mathematically accurate. We believe that God is always on time. Never too early, never too late. He's always on time. Why? Because he is timeless. He transcends time. He is above and beyond time, beyond past, present, and future. Like, uh, it's, it's hard to, to imagine that, to comprehend that, that God, of course, has already been in eternity past. He's always in the present, and he's already in the future and all in between. He knows all things. He's been there in those three timelines. That's why God is never contained of any time. We cannot contain God in a box. He is above the box, isn't it? Because he is completely sovereign and separated from time. He authors time. So if God knows the past, present, and the future, then we can rest assured, isn't it? We can be encouraged today that for a Christian, truly our future is secured. And thanks be to God because when we look at Israel right now, on God's prophetic time clock and timetable and place, we can be rest assured that our faith is real. It's true. Our Bible is true. So first we will see here a different piece. First is the period of time. We see there are 70 weeks of years, not days. All right? So the prophecy of the 70 weeks is crucial for understanding biblical prophecy. Every statement in verses 24 to 27 is important and deserves special attention. The first interpretive problem is the meaning of the expression 70 weeks. The word weeks is a Hebrew word, shabua, that can refer to any period of seven. It could be seven days, seven months, seven years, and so on. But only the context of Daniel chapter 9 indicates what period of seven is intended. There are four good reasons to believing that the seven intended here is a period of seven years. First, Daniel has just been concerned about years. We read that in verse 1 and 2. It says there, In the first year of Darius, the son of Aserus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign. Look, he always put years. First year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years. Whereof the word of the Lord came to, there's a cross-reference to Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So here it is specific that it was not months, it's not weeks, but 70 years. It is years. So secondly, it is impossible to fit the events of verses 24 to 27 into 490 days or weeks. Thirdly, in the only other place where Daniel uses the word week, he qualifies it by adding the word days in Daniel 10, chapter, verse 2 and 3. And finally, the fact that verse 27 speaks of a covenant being broken at halfway point of the 70th seven years agrees well with Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, and Daniel chapter 12, verse 7, and Revelation 12, 14, which speaks of three and one half years, as one half of a week. 
So it cannot be days. It cannot be months. It has to be years. So we established that, that 70 weeks are years. All right? In, in summary uh, of this, verse 24 declares that God has determined a period of 490 years to accomplish six key activities on behalf of Israel. Its divine act is marked out by an infinite to finish the transgression to make an end of sins and so on. All right? So we see that in the period of time. It's like, for example, when we said 70 dozen are determined, we could ask 70 dozen of what? Is it 70 dozens of days, years, or millennia? Here, the 70 weeks specifically has spoken to us that it is years. Look at Leviticus chapter 25, verse 8. All right, thank you for the slides. Uh, another example. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbath of years shall be unto the forty and nine years. It's a lot of numbers there, isn't it? Don't you know that God had given the Israelite, you know, uh, a law that they need to give the land that they till, that they planted crops, every seventh year rest. You know why? There is a principle, isn't it? Like in the Bible, God created the world in six literal days, and in the seventh day, he rested. He enjoyed his creation. And, and Sabbath was given in the Old Testament, so people will also have rest uh, in their labors, physical labors, and just worship God. Just appreciate his you know, creation and give our time and body to heal, to be able to function well for the coming week. But what Israel had done is that they disobeyed God. They did not give the land rest, and they owe God, you know, for 490 years, 70 years. That's why they were in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. They had to pay what they owe to God because they disobeyed God. It's just like... Um, isn't it um, when God says something and you obey it, there's blessing? When God says to um, Joseph, when God interpreted the dream of Pharaoh, isn't it? That on the seventh year, there will be famine. But on the sixth year, also, also applies with the Israel, he will bless their harvest double. So they have enough for the seventh year of not working, of not tilling the ground. But isn't it man in his depravity is just greedy? Naturally, isn't it? God has already blessed us, but we want some more. It's hard for us to be content in our natural depravity, and God has to teach us things in a hard way. So we'll value the, 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 the virtue of obeying God. Same thing in our practical Christian life. So they have to pay for disobeying for 490 years, 70 years in Babylonian captivity. See, God knows what he's doing. What is saying, but there's a blessing in obedience. So, secondly, not only the period of time, but the people. Look at Daniel verse 9, verse 24. 70 weeks are, that's the period of time, uh, determined upon thy people, Daniel's people, God's people. These are the Jews, all right? The Hebrew people, the Israelite nation. The Jews are a God ordained, God decreed, God conceived, and God protected nation. Amen? They are called uh, an apple of God's eye. They were chosen out of the many families in Genesis 12 when God called out Abraham to start the Jewish 
nation. What kind of people are these people? Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, the Bible says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God had chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Don't you know, three things I could say about the Jewish people. First, they are a prominent group of people. Don't you know that they only represent 0.7% of the world's population? And yet, take note, listen. And yet, you can write all of human history with six Jewish people that live in this world. First is Moses, all right? Then Paul, then Marx, then Freud, then Einstein. Oh, Einstein is a Jew. That's why he's brilliant. And Jesus Christ. You can write all the world history through the six Jews that had lived in the face of this world. And in this information age, about one-third of the Nobel Prizes winners are Jewish. Huh? Scientists, brilliant people, inventor, doctors, sculptors are Jewish. They're still blessed by God, isn't it? Despite of turning their back against the Lord as his Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. So they're not just a prominent people, but they are a blessed people. Genesis 12.3, we know this Abrahamic covenant, unconditional from the Lord, when he said, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And we know this is still being fulfilled today. God blesses the nation who blesses Israel. Amen? That's why America came to its power as a super uh, power nation, even though it's only less than... Uh, 300 years old because God used America to bless the nation of Israel and God used America to spread the gospel all over the world through missionary endeavor. And we are the, one, uh, the best ally of Israel for, for many, many years. That's why God blessed America. But sad to say, things are happening, happening differently right now. This is unconditional. In whom... The families of the earth be blessed. And we are what we call the spiritual descendants of Abraham. Amen? Because we believe on Jesus Christ who came from the seed, the lineage of Abraham. Where is the promised Messiah? So, I can preach this afternoon because of the Jewish race. You know why? Because they gave me a Savior. Because they gave me a Bible I have in my hand. That's why our faith is a Judeo-Christian derived kind of faith. Romans 3.1, but here it is, Romans 3.1. What advantage then had the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? They are called the people of circumcision. When God gave the circumcision to Abraham, it separates, it sanctifies Abraham, his family, and that evolving nation to all the nations of the world, the pagan nations. That is a sign. What, is, what good is it to be a Jew? He asked this question, Paul, in Romans chapter 3, because back in Romans chapter 2, he just pointed out that the person is never saved just because they are a Jew. Isn't it? It doesn't matter if you're a morally good person. It doesn't matter if you're a Jewish person. It doesn't matter if you have a great pedigree. It doesn't matter if you're educated or rich or uh, have a social standing in society. It doesn't matter if you don't have Christ in your life, in your heart, you are doomed to go to hell. You are condemned. You are not saved. You have to accept the Messiah. Because there are people who said, oh, we are from 
the lineage of Abraham, or we are in the lineage of these great descendants, mm, we have favor with God. No. You have to have a personal relationship with the Messiah. You need to be born again to God's family. That's why God doesn't have any grandchildren. He has only children. Amen? Because salvation, going to heaven, is never passed. It's never inherited. But it's always a personal decision. It's a personal relationship. You know, God has only children, never a grandchildren. So the question remains, what advantage is there to being a Jew? Romans 3.2, much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Much unto them were committed the oracles of God. So, plainly speaking, God used them to write the Bible. Amen? God used them to write the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Um, the Bible says, Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do so in the land whither ye go to possess it. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations which shall hear all these statutes. God gave the Jews, the Hebrew nation, the Israelites statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. You see, God gave his statutes, his commandments, his laws to the Jews. So they're supposed to share it to the rest of the world. They're supposed to be that lighthouse, that light in the darkened, pagan, hedonistic world. God deposited his wisdom and knowledge into his people to share with the world. God used them to give the world an understanding of there's only one true living God, the mon monotheistic belief, there's only one God. When the rest of the nations are worshiping, you know, hundreds of false gods, idols, and millions of them. They've given the world that concept, that truth, that there's only one God, Jehovah God. So God is still has a wonderful plan for the future of the nation of Israel. So they are prominent, they are blessed, and thirdly, they are indestructible. Indestructible. Psalms chapter 89, verse 27 to 37. It's just good to read this passage of scripture. <clears throat> okay, we project the lyrics there. Oh, the lyrics. The verses, I'm sorry. All right. How can you sing when Luke sing and Amanda? <laughs> sing before you, all right? Psalms 89, verse 27 to 37. The Bible says, Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth, talking about the Israelite nation. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law, look at this commandment, uh, covenant of the Lord, and walk not in my judgment, if they break my statutes and keep, my, keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with a rod and their iniquities with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break. Aren't you glad that God made that kind of covenant unconditional? Regardless if they keep it or not, God will still do his part. God will still do what he's supposed to do. Aren't you glad God is like that? Because how many times as Christians we commit something to God? We made a decision. We made a vow. We made an oath. Lord, I'll do this for you if you will just answer this prayer of mine. Lord, I will just do 
do this for you if you will just grant my wish. Lord, I will do this for you if you will grant this favor for me. And lo and behold, God listened and answered our prayer, and then we forgot what we had committed to God. But still, God is there to remind us. God is still there to pick us up. He might use chastisement. He might use some papitik-pitik na palo, di ba? Reminder, maybe a rebuke from others. God is still there to give us another chance. Hindi siya kagaya ng tao na I'm through with you. You know? I have nothing to do with you because you already had frustrated me many times, failed me. Aren't you glad that God's love is unconditional, is everlasting, is eternal? And same thing with the nation of Israel. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Verse 35. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not be, that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever. See? Indestructible. And we know, I've told you before, the devil had tried to destroy that line. Tried to corrupt it, isn't it? Tried to impede and kill the Messiah from those lines that would come, but he did not really succeed. Once I have sworn by Moholens that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. Alright? That's why God's kingdom through the throne line of David will continue until the millennial reign. As still as the sun sets and rises. Imagine that. God's word. And he's keeping it. He's fulfilling it. It shall be established forever as the moon. So there's the sun. How can we, how can life continue to exist without the sun? Isn't it? Our proper, you know, distance from the sun, our proper revolution around the sun. And also, how can life exist here on earth without the moon? Because it affects our ecosystem. The waves, the ocean, and the ocean plays a big part in the life here on earth. So those two heavenly bodies are assigned as long as they're there. God will keep his word, his promise to the nation of Israel, to the seed of David. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. Sila. You know, the Jewish people, the Israelite nation, they have endured unspeakable atrocities. No, anti-Semitism is not just happening right now. It's been happening for millennials, millenniums of years. Until, actually, since Genesis 3.15, since the beginning of human history. There's already a conflict. They have endured unspeakable atrocities under the likes of Pharaoh, remember, who killed the male Jewish babies, Nebuchadnezzar, who took them to captivity, Alexander the Great, Titus, Nero, Emperor Roman Nero, Adolf Hitler, and even the former Soviet Union. And yet, they still exist today in their native land. Huh? The Nile River could not drown the Jews, nor could the Red Sea. Jonah's well could not even digest a Jew. You know, he has to vomit him out. Huh? It's not illegal, all right? It's not palatable for this whale. Of course, God used the whale to give him a ride to get back in his wheel. But even a whale cannot digest a Jew. Haman's gallows could not hang a Jew. A fiery furnace could not even consume them because there was that fort man in the fire that protected them, that encouraged them. 
I wonder when we get to heaven, no? We can ask Sadrach, Misak, and Abednego, Anong pinag-usapan nyo? Fourth man, you know? You want some steak after this, you know? How do you want it to be? How do you want, how do you want your steak? Medium well, medium rare? Burnt or rare, you know? Wonder what, what the conversation is, isn't it? Mm, we can put that in our list. Things to ask people in heaven when we get there, you know? Things that the Bible is silent about. We'll understand it better by and by. So, <laughs> fairy furnace cannot consume them. Nations of the world could neither assimilate them nor annihilate them. Assimilate them. Take away their culture, their identity, or totally wipe them out, the face of the world. Annihilate. Never had happened. Why? Because they are protected by God indestructible. So the period is 490 years. The people are the Jews. Thirdly is the place. What is the place? Verse 24 in the 70 weeks it's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is like no other place on the face of the earth but there will never be peace on earth until there's peace there which only the Prince of Peace will truly bring. Now when we were in Israel it was a peaceful time and a pre-COVID time thanks be to God able to go. You know, when we saw parts of the Golan Heights, we were in a bus and we drove. Yeah, it's really up there on a hill in a high elevation. And there's some peace. And our guide says, don't you know that people who live here are, some are from Syria, some are from Lebanon, Arabs and everything. And you know what? If you ask them if they would like to go back to their native land, they will say no. Because they are happy where they are. Because they have peace there. They have work. They can raise their family. Their religion is being respected. And they respect the Jews. So there was a collaboration. There was like a temporary peace that had happened. And they were able to get some of those land. And we know what's happening right now. And it had happened for weeks. And the mainstream media is putting up a, a, a narrative that is the Israelites' fault. Isn't it? And it, it always happens like that, you know? They don't really know the whole story. But my point is, we're not trying to be political. God's favor, God's protection is still to his people because he's still not done with them. Amen? Yes. He's not yet through with them. He has a purpose and a plan in their lives. And as I said, as we look at Israel at the news, they are the time clock, the timetable of God's world prophetic events. So let's look at Jerusalem, at Israel. You know, the Golden Heights, the Gaza Strip, they will never be resolved, these issues, until Jesus resolves them. And I don't know, if, I think I forgot to put there in the slide, this 35 acre of land that make up the Temple Mount is the most disputed tract of land on the planet. Only 35 acres were the Dome of the Rock sits and the Temple Mount. And if somebody touched that, either Muslims or Jews, there will be World War III right now. Huh? It will be the center stage for the countdown to Armageddon. Look at Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day will I make Jerusalem a burdensome stone. A burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth shall be gathered together against it. So it's a hotbed 
a political and uh, you know uh, seat in the world, so to speak. It's only a strip of land. Remember that slide I put? And there's a piece of land, strip of land that's Israel, and the rest is Arab nation, and the rest is the world. But it's the most disputed land, especially that 35 acre that make up the Temple Mount. Why? Because to the Jews, the Temple Mount was where Abraham offered his son Isaac. And where Abraham passed the test of God, of faith in Abraham. And, and, and the Jews respected the patriarchs of the Jewish nation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, isn't it? Which composed the whole nation. So for them, that's the place where Abraham offered his son Isaac. And also it's the same place where Jesus offered himself as the Lamb of God. You know, because that's where Calvary is, Golgotha is. And also, it's the same place where the third temple must be built soon. Remember, there was Solomon's temple. Then it was devastated. And then God caused uh, Nehemiah to rebuild it, Zerubbabel to go back. And then there was Herod's temple to appease the Jews. He rebuilt it. And then will come the third temple in the Great Tribulation when the Antichrist will allow the Jews to build in that 35-acre land a temple of Israelites. So, it will be built soon. You know, by the way, as I said before, as I know, we're in the last times, latter end of the last times, because they are now priests being trained for temple worship for the last 20 years. They are now garments and articles having being fashioned, instruments of temple worship being fashioned right now, being made in preparation for what could come at any time. Because for the past 2,000 years, they don't have any temple to offer their sacrifice. And now, it could happen. Also, to the Muslim, it is one of their most holy places where the Dome of the Rock now sits. So it's a hotbed of 35-acre land. Look at Ezekiel chapter 5, verse 5. And thus saith the Lord God, this, Jeru this is Jerusalem. I have set it in the midst of the nations and countries that are round about her. So it is the capital city of the world, the center of the hub of all that is. It was mentioned 800 times in the Bible, destroyed several times, but always been rebuilt. Unlike other nations that God cursed or cities, they were never rebuilt, after God says. Isn't it? We don't know if Washington will always be here, or Paris, or London, or Tokyo, but Jerusalem does have a future no matter what. Because God said so. Amen. Psalms 2.6 Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. God calls Jerusalem his holy hill. Look at the other verses. Isaiah 62 verse 1. For Zion's sake. It's another name for Jerusalem. Or the coming new Jeru Jerusalem. New Jerusalem. Heavenly Zion in the future. Isn't it? Thus said the Lord of hosts. My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad. And the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. All right, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 12. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion, in the Holy Land and shall choose Jerusalem again. All right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 35 says, Not to swear by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Don't swear against Jerusalem. It is the city of the great king. 
Do you know what Jerusalem means? You know, isn't it? Salem means peace. Jerusalem is supposed to be the city of peace. Ironically speaking, considering history, it's never really been a city of peace. But we know peace is coming one day because the Prince of Peace will come and rule and will make Jerusalem his capital city, his, his headquarters in that millennial reign. So back to Daniel chapter 9. And I think I have to close with this. What's the purpose? The fourth P. We see the period of time, the people, the place, the purpose. In verse 24, here we read on the latter end of the verse, the verse ends with a five-fold purpose for these 70 weeks. To finish the transgression and make an end of sins. So simply means to figure out what has been wrong. Finish the transgression and make an end of sins. The disobedience of Israel. Kaya nga 70th is Jacob's trouble. Even though they disobeyed, God has still a plan to restore them. Reconcile them to himself. Secondly, to make reconciliation for iniquity. To make it right. Thirdly, to bring in everlasting righteousness. To keep it right. Fourth, to seal up the vision and prophecy. Or to close the deal that God had made through his people. Aren't you glad? Let me quote this. God will always put the last period on the last sentence, on the last page of the last chapter of the last book of human history. But with God, the end is only the beginning. So the encouragement today, this afternoon, are you on God's side? Are you in the right side of history? If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, and you hold fast and true to the word of God, I tell you, there's great news. No matter what happened in this world, no matter what chaos will happen, no matter what confusion, if you believe the word of God, if you believe that you are a child of God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, I tell you, not only your present is already promised, but your future is always secure. It's always in good shape. And we can trust the Lord with that because of his word. So to close the deal, and lastly, to anoint the most holy. It means that Christ will rule and reign forever with all who have followed him. So back to our text in Matthew 24, 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Nor willing, next time we'll study the program. What is really the 70 weeks is all about. I hope you learned something this afternoon. Let's bow us for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this short Bible study that we had. Thank you, Lord, that once again we can be reminded that God's word will stand. Thank you, Lord, by your grace and mercy we've seen that you already fulfilled uh, a lot of prophetic instructions in the Old Testament by the coming of our Savior 2,000 years ago, his first advent, where he came as a lowly lamb, where he came as a compassionate Savior. He came, Lord, to reconcile us to God. He came, has been prophesied by the prophets through a virgin birth, through the supernatural and miraculous conception of the Spirit, in order to fulfill God's plan of redemption. Thank you, Lord, that 
you saw our condition. You saw our hopelessness, our helplessness, our homelessness. And you knew, Lord, that we can never obey the commandments of God. We could never fulfill the law. We will always going to fail at one point. And, uh, and the law is given so we can see a realization. We can see the truth that we need the righteousness of God. It points us to Christ. It points us that we could never save ourselves. And thank you, Lord, for sending, sending your only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who incarnated from glory to flesh, who lived for 33 and a half years, obeyed all the law, fulfilled all righteousness, fulfilled all the commandments. So when we accept Him as our Lord and Savior, that righteousness will be imputed to us, meaning it can be transferred to us. So when we die and we face God in heaven, He will allow us to enter His kingdom because He can see His Son's righteousness in us. And we know from the scripture that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only person in this world that the Lord is always pleased. This is my Son in whom I am pleased. So if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then we can please God. And by faith, we can please Him and serve Him. So I hope and pray, Lord, that today, if there's a person here who's still struggling in making a decision to trust Christ as his or her Lord and personal Savior, Lord, may you not give them peace. May you convict their heart that we're not talking here about a religion. We're not talking about a philosophy, but we're talking about a person who had loved them so much, who offered and gave himself on the cross, shed his blood, so we can have salvation. We can be reconciled. So our relationship with our God who created us that has been broken because of sin can be restored. And that's one of the grandest moments that could ever happen in our lives because that will be the time that we will be born again. That will be a time that we will be spiritually awake and enlightened and alive again. Because right now, in our natural state, every man that's born in this world is a sinner by choice and by nature. And we are and they we are dead, spiritually speaking, in trespasses and sin until Christ came into our heart in our salvation moment and made us quickened, made us alive unto God. Lord, that's our prayer for our unsaved loved ones and friends. They might have a religion, they might have a ritual that they do, they might have a relic that they believe that could save them but not anything of these things is the right way for a person to have inherit eternal life they need to be born again into God's family and the only way to do that is by trusting Christ as our Lord and personal Savior so if you're here today you're not sure I'm not trying to scare you death can come at our lives at any time death is no respecter of person the Bible says that our lives compared to a, a vapor that appear it for a little time and vanish it away. You never know. Tomorrow will be our appointed time to meet God. So we need to be prepared to face God and prepare for all eternity, either heaven or hell. Only two places. But don't you know Christ is that bridge that can bring us to heaven. 
He is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto Him, unto the Father, unto heaven, except through Him. How come He's the only way? That's so narrow-minded. You know, it's so narrow, so all can believe and be saved. God does not require us to do this and that when other people cannot do it. That's not fair. They don't have any shot or chance to be saved. But everyone can trust, can believe. So salvation is through a person, it's through a relationship with Christ. That's the start. So will you trust Him today? Just call upon Him this way. If you don't know that you have a place in heaven, you've been forgiven of your sins. I'm not offering you a religion. I'm offering you a relationship with the one who loves you so much. Just call this way, Lord Jesus, I believe that I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I believe that you love me. And you died on the cross for my sin. You shed your blood. You were buried and you rose again for me. I repent of all my sins. Forgive me. And I receive you by faith as my Lord and personal Savior. Save me at this moment. And thank you for the eternal life you've given me today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I hope you had trusted Christ as your Savior. But if you're a Christian here, I just want to encourage you. Don't lose hope. Don't be depressed. <clears throat> Our future is bright and clear. Even though our presence could look bleak, we can be sort of discouraged by what's happening in this world. Seems like evil is winning. The devil is having a, a party right now. Seems like this world is getting more polluted by humanism and all these bad isms. But I tell you, just stand your ground. Just keep the faith. Share the faith. God is looking for a remnant. God is looking for few people that will stand between the gap. Let's keep the good fight of faith. Let's finish our course with the grace of God, with faith. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you, keep on serving the Lord. Keep having the desire to know Him. Keep inviting people to Christ. Keep witnessing. Keep giving to missions. Keep doing things for the glory of God because it will never be in vain. The Lord God Almighty in heaven is keeping tabs of what you do for Christ. Ask the Lord for strength. Ask the Lord for His provision in your life. Father in heaven, thank you Lord for your word this afternoon. Thank you Lord for these books of the Bible that we look. Thank you Lord that we can always trust that you are a sovereign God who is always in control. And we can place our simple lives into thy hands for safekeeping, for guidance. Lord, we pray for the peace in Jerusalem. Lord, we pray for our government leaders. Lord, may God's fear be upon them. Lord, we pray for our men and women, soldiers in uniform who are fighting for us. We pray for our cops and police who are trying to keep the peace and tranquility and order in society. I know, Lord, these people are never perfect. We all have flaws, but you said in your word you are using them as a minister of authority so we can live a peaceable and quiet life. Lord, we just pray that you protect them. But most of all, Lord, protect them from the lies of the devil. Pray that there will come a time that they will hear the gospel 
and also trust the only one that can give them eternal security and salvation through the person of Christ. Lord, we pray that may we never take for granted our freedom that we have in Jesus, our freedom that we still enjoy here civilly, because there might come a day that we'll be more persecuted, it will be more harder for us to share thee, O Lord. But while we have the opportunity, may you use us, O Lord, may you give us the courage and the wisdom to do so. Bless the prayers of thy people, their petition, whatever it is. And as we face another week, Lord, help us to be your instrument and channel of your faithfulness in other people. May we pray for someone for their salvation. May we say a word of prayer. May we say a word of hope for those who are looking at life as just a routine or hopelessness. May they see that there is a God in heaven who loves them. There is a God in heaven who wants to save them and bless them and make them his own Lord. So we pray now, Lord, for your guidance and bless the rest of our afternoon today. And thank you, Lord, for our folks who had listened to um, the sharing of your word this afternoon. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.